0: Welcome to the Packaging Scholars Podcast, the show where we discuss technical packaging topics to enable you to make educated packaging decisions for your company or just learn something new. Today, I have with me Susan Thoman from CMA, and today we're going to talk about compostable packaging. We are going to discuss what is compostable packaging, why are the materials important, are some materials better than others? and the whole, I don't see composting in my neighborhood, why not? And also the kind of the hope for the future of composting. So without further ado, um, this is Susan Thoman and I'll let her do an introduction and a brief history on CMA.
1: Great, Jessica, it's great to be here today, excuse me. And uh, yeah, so I run the compost manufacturing Alliance. I'm the founder. I started it in 2017 after spending 14 years uh, in a major composting company in the Seattle area, and about the time food scrap program started, which was like two thousand six two thousand seven um, that was really sort of pioneering a whole new area for commercial collection of co- uh, compostable materials, food scraps and things from office buildings. Um, and there was a request that, hey, if we're gonna you know serve lunches and compost our food scraps, what about the packaging? Could we use compostable packaging? So, when we started in, uh, you know, talking about packaging as composters, um, there wasn't a lot of knowledge about, you know, what what's compostable. And I think we all assumed, well, all paper's compostable and all wood's compostable. So we had this sort of, you know, rudimentary knowledge of packaging, but came to find out later there was a lot more we needed to learn. So one of the things that happened over time is we began to take food service packaging from commercial entities is we found those materials weren't really breaking down in the timeframe we needed them to. And if you think about it this way, if you go out and source a compostable set of food service items, you ship them on a truck to a composter, the composter puts them in their process and at the end they don't break down. That composter has to screen them out and landfill them. So basically you spend a premium price to take that compostable on a really long ride to the landfill. So. CMA does field testing of compostables to vet that piece of their performance in the piles. And I'm sure we'll have a lot more questions coming up in the interview uh, where I can expound on that a little bit further.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a great place to start is sort of that long journey to the landfill and really understanding what is compostable packaging? How do we prevent it from getting to the landfill? And what's the difference between something that's compostable in an industrial setting versus something that's compostable in your backyard, right? Because like a lot of people have food scraps and maybe some wood chips that go into a composter in their backyard, but that's not where you're going to see, you know, compostable packaging break down, right? So there's like a difference between industrial and backyard. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah.
1: Excellent question, Jessica. Yes. So your industrial facilities clearly are built to do a lot of volume. So they're generally... You generally build a facility for composting through policies that push through regions, that push through cities that go out to bid for that. And the hauling companies generally have contracts with the processors, whether they're recyclers or composters. So um, to have a program in your area takes policies, municipal planning, and, and, and money. You need, you need capital to build these facilities. So industrial compost facilities are built for that volume Um, So that's a big difference between doing five or six yards in the back of your yard um, when you're taking in, for instance, the composter I've worked here in the Seattle area takes in over 400,000 tons a year. So they have two facilities. That's a lot of material to process. So uh, in our state, in many states now, it's a regulated industry, meaning that you have to have a permit. Um, You have air quality, water quality, and also health department you know, supervision or regulators that oversee the site. Um, you have to get a permit often to, you know, you know pitch your operating plan. And then over time, those things are, are modified. So, sure. so industrial composting uh, employs a lot of technology as well. So um, if you think about your home compost pile, you take your leaves, your grass, your food scraps, and you set them out there and then you turn it occasionally to aerate it. And then you let it sit for a while and be static well big industrial composters either use technology machines or big equipment to accomplish the same thing so you have like windrow systems which are basically like being your home compost pile where you just have a lot of space and land Mm -hmm. and you periodically turn it and you manage it that way and you you know you can manage a windrow pile very successfully and get great results but in a lot of your cities, especially coastal, because of permit requirements and regulations in those states, you have to have a higher level of processing technology. So for instance, in Seattle, uh, they have systems that have big covers that are come from the same family of, uh, as Gore-Tex does. They're covers that keep the heat in but breathe. And they also allow that pile to hit very high temperatures. So um, one big difference between home compostable and industrial is the temperatures you're gonna hit in a highly controlled system are gonna be much higher than what you're gonna be able to accomplish with the pitchfork and a shovel in your house. So that's why it's important. You can't put meat in home composting or meat products, you know, dairy things like that Mm -hmm. because they need a higher level temperature wise and processing wise to actually break down. Um, They also contain pathogens. Which you don't want to put them out in your yard so you need that temperature control and and weed seeds are another problem in a home composting sure. system if you can't don't throw the dandelions in the yeah. compost pile because they'll just come back when you put the compost out so weed seed kill pathogen kill high temperatures and then finally for compostables there's a lot of materials in like the bioplastic or sort of the bioresin derived yes packaging that needs a lot of high temperature and to break down and so if you think you're going to take you know a portion cup from the stadium and bring it home and do the right thing and put it in your yard along with everybody else's those are really not going to break down in your home compost pile because they'll never reach those temperatures okay so those are the things just to keep in mind don't put compostables in your yard in your backyard pile and don't put meat bones anything that's pathogen laden or anything that might have chemicals that would be persistent and end up you know, not breaking down through the microbial activity.
0: That makes sense. So it's really, if you have compostable like forks or spoons and you put them in your backyard heap, they're not going to break down because you really need the industrial conditions yes. of the heat and the oxygen, which we didn't talk about, but I know we need oxygen yes, and turning, sure. right? Keeping the pile turned. Okay, right. cool. Right. Um, <clears throat> and then... There's kind of, there's been a big push for sustainability, especially in this compostable space um, where we we see a push toward compostable packaging. Um, can, you ex- can you speak to some of the reasons why it's important to move this direction and why companies sure. are moving in this direction?
1: Yeah, I think the drivers that I'm most familiar with over all the time I've been in this space is, you know, people are really... Trying to minimize plastic pollution, so traditional plastic pollution. Uh, the other thing is recycling systems over time. You know, uh, we don't have as much domestic recycling as we used to. Mm-hmm. And so we're sort of recovering from a lot of materials going overseas. So the thing about composting, it's in your own neighborhood, your own region. Mm-hmm. You keep your materials in your own community. So it's not going out 300 miles away to a landfill and it's not you know, going to another area where it can't be recovered and turned into something beneficial. So, yeah, I think that the other driver is climate change. Climate change, compost production, diversion from landfill, as well as applications, all have major climate change mitigation characteristics that we want. So whenever you use compost, you're really helping the environment um, and, and helping us to avoid you know, what happens in climate change. And so uh, that's another reason. And I would say finally, you know, we have a lot more interest in getting food out of the landfill, 30 to 40% of what we throw away is food. So you have a lot more initiatives and pushes and policies pushing for more organics. And of course, if you're going to push for more organics, but you want to add it to the, you know, the school district and the university, you're going to have to think about you know, the food service operations and, Absolutely. you know, how are they going to eat? Cause you're not going to put a bunch of plastic plates no. in a system that's got composting attached right. to the end of it. So all those things.
0: Sure. The whole system, it has to work together. So that, like you said, if it is a food service environment, that everything at in that environment could be composted. So you have food and you have um, whatever kind yeah. of utensils or plates, and it can all go in the same place so that it's not, difficult to separate them. There's are some materials better for composting than others. And maybe we can talk a little bit about where does it make sense to start so that it's easy for people to assimilate to actually, you know, separating compostable materials. So what are some of the good materials to start with? And we'll also talk about it a little bit more as we think about the future too, because like the infrastructure isn't quite there yet to adapt everywhere, right? Right, right.
1: Yeah, great things. Obviously, food service packaging from dine-in operations is really what composters are set up to take currently, mm-hmm. and uh, and the reason for that. And I I want to say this the right way: composters really aren't interested as in packaging as a feedstock, and a feedstock's an inbound input. But they're interested in getting the food scraps from those, or, you know, commercial dine-in campuses and things because that food they're really trying to recover the food. So the packaging should always be seen as a carrier of food. So for instance, do we want a, a you know a whole truckload of empty cups? No. They're not going to really make a lot of compost and they're going to throw off our recipe a little bit. But you know, a little bit of the teriyaki left from your house that you didn't quite finish in a compostable container that'll break down with it. Yeah. Um you know, the leftover peanut shells from the stadium, all those things can be put in. So we get the food scraps and the packaging together. So I would say, you know, single use items that are just beverages. Yes, we want compostable cups, but that's not the main thing we're looking for. We're looking for those containers that create food scrap diversion. And that's really the area we like to stay in. I'll talk a little bit later though about retail, because I think there's opportunities to expand compostables. I'd like to talk about that uh, as we move along.
0: Absolutely. So it's, is it really then the food scraps that are generating the heat in the system and that's why it's important to have um a proper balance.
1: Yeah, there's a whole recipe uh you know it's sort of you know they need a certain moisture level, they need a carbon to nitrogen level of like 20 to 30 to 1. So that means okay. a lot of browns like wood to greens like nitrogen. So browns are your carbons, greens is like are like you know nitrogen high in nitrogen. Uh, But that's a recipe, you know, composters are manufacturers and many of them have been doing this for 30 years. The recipe is everything because at the end of the process, that manufacturing process needs to produce a consistent product that you're gonna wanna buy every year and it looks and acts the same every year. So the compost quality is critical. Mm -hmm. And again, they're manufacturers, they're not dump sites, they're manufacturers. So we're very strategic about what we wanna bring in um, to make that good compost and compostables makes sense. can play a role in making that better. Or they can also, there's other sides to it where if they're not properly identified or, you know, they, they use the wrong ones we, could actually invite contamination. So we we're challenged on both sides of the fence, more food scraps, but less contamination. So that's currently what we really work on.
0: So then if a CPG company wants to consider compostable packaging for their products, Um, Can you talk a little bit about what makes a package compostable? Because there's a lot of greenwashing and there's a lot of good attempts, but don't really work. Like you said, you get this contamination in the pile. So if companies want to make the choice to switch to a compostable material, how do they know it's actually going to be a material that, you know, you guys, that composters will receive in and be able to use and it won't make the system worse?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, um for many years there's sort of been a baseline of chemistry um that, you know, product manufacturers developed way back in the 90s that are published uh as ASTM standards or American mm-hmm. Society of Testing Methods. So yeah. that's kind of the technical place you go to look up how we do a technical, you know, how we approach techni- technical things related mm-hmm. to packaging and everything else. So so the ASTM standards were developed in the 90s for compostables that basically check the toxicity of the material, making sure there's not heavy metals, making sure nothing in the constituency of that product's production is, is a problem if it was in the ground as compost. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, you know, checking its ability to actually biodegrade naturally into nature. So there's some biodegradables out there that actually don't turn into you know, biomass and water, which is the end result you want with composting, but they fragment into thousands of pieces. So those ASTM standards keep people in the lanes Mm -hmm. of where those products have to stay to even make a claim of compostability. So ASTM 6400, ASTM D6868, um, those are the 6400 for monolayer materials, 6868 for multilayer coated fibers. Um, And then what CMA does in addition to that, is we do a field disintegration test. Okay, So we're, we're kind of doing the final thing is, will the composter have a problem with it? And we do a field test to give that manufacturer the assurance we tested your material in this kind of process, it worked great. So you are officially certified in the CMA network of composters to send that in as a compostable.
0: And is that typically the material suppliers who are coming to you versus the manufacturers of consumer goods?
1: Um, I would say both. Yeah, it's primarily the manufacturers. um, And then we work a lot with a lot of the material suppliers just because they're interested in giving their clients information on how their their materials work should they make a structure from it. So so we really work with both, but primarily the actual producers of the end product that goes out to market are our customers.
0: So people should be asking their packaging vendors if they're CMA certified to know that that material will will work out yes. in the system. Okay. Yes. Okay, good. And the other
1: thing that's important with our program is we're connected to a network of composters. So I like to say it this way, we're certifying for the receiving facilities of these materials, which was kind of a new concept when I started CMA. Because yeah. generally it was just sort of all done in the lab. And then once meets the lab standards, you know, it's done. compostable, it's out in the market and then composters deal with it later. Like, what's this? I don't know what it is. So... If you think about our recycling systems and how we're trying to get them back to being more robust and more domestically managed, yeah. we're just trying to avoid what happened to recycling because if we get further away from this manufacturer makes the cup and this manufacturer makes the compost. I like to say our model is working manufacturer to manufacturer. And it's interesting because operations people... In, in packaging companies can relate to an operations person in a manufacturing plant. And a lot of times the sales and marketing people just need to get out of the way <laughs> and we can all work together on co-creating compostables and compost, but to do it thoughtfully and strategically. So we're improving both of our business models together. And that's really, you know, what the intention was for CMA is to create these partnerships that actually move the dial forward versus being separated. And later, yeah, everyone's investments are wasted because we didn't think about the fact that this is a systems
0: and you just uh, end up a lot program. of contaminated product that you've worked hard to create
1: yes for yeah. years you're right
0: yeah um and I get a, a question once in a while about compostable packaging is great but like I I have to throw all my compostable packaging away because in my city they don't collect it um and it's only I think around three percent of yeah, of yeah, you know the I... the the U.S. has access to industrial composting facilities, and so where do you see this industry going? So, if a company is considering the investment in a compostable package, how long do you think it will take for that package to actually be composted and actually have um, facilities in municipalities? Around the country, right? Like, what, yeah. what do, where do you see the the push coming from? Because a lot of these companies are investing in the compostable packaging. It's typically more expensive, and so if it's if only three percent of their consumers can actually dispose of that in the intended way, then how do people justify spending the extra money on that packaging?
1: Well, we we always advise compostable packaging makes sense in cities that compost. So we don't promote that we buy compostables. They, they may be more renewable, so they have advantages like that, but I think your point's a good one that for manufacturers, we have these debt, what we call compost facility deserts where we don't have the infrastructure. So what I would say to that is part of the reason for that is composting is a capitally intense business to start, okay, especially now that you're seeing more and more regulations and, and everything. They also are, are dependent on having inbound feedstock. So you pretty much have to win a contract for that uh, to know that you can go to the bank and say here, here, I'm gonna have a contract for 10 years composting for this city. And so I need my loan to dig my shovel and build my site. So there's a lot of finance things involved, but it's also policy driven and landfill rate dip driven. So case in point, when you come out to the coast, we have very high landfill rates here on the West Coast. And that makes the economic model for composting much better. Um, if you get in states where they have very low landfill rates, co- if composting is significantly higher in cost to do, then it's really hard to justify. I mean, how how do you you know change all the rates of all the citizens for their garbage collection? It's very complicated economics. So I'd say one of the biggest things, barriers to building more infrastructure is the financing. Mm-hmm. And I will say that there are some groups and you know, VC groups now that are looking at, you know, really creating more funding for that, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um, But I would say landfill rates and funding are the two barriers. Mm -hmm. But I also see a lot of activity, you know, upstream and in terms of, um, you know, policies that are moving through states to really push, you know, composting as, you know, mandatory down the road. So I think, you know, if, if, if investment and policies can catch up, I would hope that in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see a substantial increase in siting facilities, keeping in mind that siting that facility can take two years or could take 10 years. Yeah. So, the, um, so a lot's going to have to depend on the regulatory community and their ability to speed up, you know, permitting yeah. and things like that, which get very, very complicated. But uh, but I have faith that we'll have some hopefully federally, federal level policies in the next few years that will really push more investment and more support
0: so once a community does start offering um collection of compostable materials is that a separate garbage truck i know through my neighborhood i have like a trash and then a coal mingled recycled truck and then would there be a third truck that would come collect um a bin a bin of compostables
1: yeah Yeah, well most start as yard waste programs that's where your volume is so you have okay. your residential yard waste uh, which doesn't really we don't really prone a lot of packaging at home come in because you know the education isn't there yeah but in some cases sure you know the pizza boxes we accept and things like that but when you get into commercial um, I think that that's where it's not franchise like residential so it's an open market you have more competition and commercial collection so that's actually a good thing because I think it creates more More market demand means more options for collection that aren't franchised through a contract.
0: Sure, that makes sense. And then as we kind of think about the future, and you you kind of touched on a little bit earlier, just some of the things that are um, changing. So maybe we can talk a little bit, if you have anything else to say about changes changes in policy, but then... I'd also like to talk a little bit about any of the changes that you see in the actual structures that you're able to compost because originally, or initially, we had these compostable materials. It was sort of like mono materials. You don't really, if it was a film, you weren't really getting great barrier. But now we're kind of moving toward um, more high barrier films or at least films that protect the product better. So maybe it's even got a little metallization in it. And so I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to those um, two areas for whatever, whatever you can offer. I know you don't make um, compostable film, but like you're seeing it kind of come through.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, packaging in general has moved to the flexible packaging so much of it now. And I I would say that um, we've, we've come to understand that they're not all mono anymore. So I think the thing that, So I think when things are materially similar, they do better in the piles. But if you have, for instance, if you take a paper and then a a biopolymer and then a paper, if you you mix like fiber and bioplastics, they tend to have a harder time. And I don't know if that's because the microbes that like paper, you know, aren't the same ones that like the layer, but they have to get through two different kinds of materials. So I'd say if materials are more similar to each other in multiple layers, they probably mm-hmm. would do better. But I think when you start mixing layers with different types of substrips, I would say that, that, that can, you know, we found that that can be a challenge. Um, like
0: slow it down. Is that what you mean by challenge? Yeah that, yeah. that they
1: only have so much time to disintegrate to a certain percentage.
0: Otherwise and... you lose your heat and then you lose the ability to break things down more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And, and, and too many layers too. So for what you're saying about packaging performance with consumers, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's sort of like when the first cutlery came out in Seattle and it only held up to 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And I went to a mayor's event. I share this a lot. um, And I was watching people stir their coffee and pull out nothing but a stub. And they're like, what? And I'm like, wow. (laughs) Um, But the, the same manufacturer, you know, seven years later makes one that stands up to 170 degrees. So we, we've seen that migration from where it was to where it can be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if it's really hot or it goes in an oven, it you know, and it still is intact, that's a good sign that probably won't break that down that oh, well in a it. pile that's 160 degrees. So heat tolerance is a challenge. Uh, and I don't know enough about barriers now to know. How those might affect microbes or or the activity, because as packaging is newer and changing, um, you know, again, we don't make packaging, but we just know how it looks. But I think what's been cool about CMA, I think for the first time really in my career that I know of, you know, um, we have, you know, packaging scientists talking to composting scientists for the first time. And a lot of folks designing compostable packaging have never even been to a composting site. So we're getting all this cross, you know, training and understanding. CMA is also hosting a major compostables strategic plan. Uh, we just had a big event in March where we're actually getting everyone from the system together to share a vision for the future because we're so disconnected, it's become a real challenge. But I have faith, um, yeah. there's a lot of great people in bo- all the spaces that we're talking about with a strong desire to, to share a vision and, and build that roadmap Yeah, that make we it need. better, right? Yeah.
0: Um, so are there any resources that you would point people to if they wanted to learn more kind of about where we're at now or where we plan on being in the future?
1: I think, you know, the U.S. Composting Council is sort of our industry group uh, association. It's come a long way. And I think subscribing to anything that they publish, uh, there's a group that I was part of for a few years i'm I'm not involved anymore but it's called target organics and we literally spent seven years trying to unlock the barriers to building infrastructure so they've got a great toolkit you could go on the u.s composting council site and look at some of the various areas they've explored and you can really learn a lot through the u.s composting council and a lot of states have organics councils as well Mm -hmm. like in washington state we have the washington state organics council i believe minnesota has the minnesota you know composting council yeah so going to these you know organics councils you'll meet people a lot of times they do events so and also your solid waste uh Solid Waste Advisory Councils, Um, they're everywhere across the Mm -hmm. U.S. If you have recycling and garbage, then they're going to have one in your town. So I just think those are areas that people don't think about, the solid waste world, learning about the solid waste world and how you can donate time or or your skills or knowledge. And um, I just think those are really important areas to explore.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing all of this. This was really fun to talk about composting
1: yeah well thank we like it when people want to talk to us about composting
0: (laughs) absolutely well thank you for your time today appreciate it Sure.
1: well thanks for the invitation it's been great and happy composting it's spring go out and compost
0: (laughs) that's right (laughs) all right thank you you bet bye